So Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read uh, again from verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me pray for us as we look at God's word. Father, we thank you that you are the creator. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is sovereign over all things. The God who is good. The God who can be trusted. The God who loves us and delights in us. All because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Father, as we look to your word now, we ask that by your spirit, you would help us to be receptive to your word. That by your spirit, Lord, you would encourage us, convict us, strengthen us, renew us. I pray, Lord, that your word would accomplish its purposes this morning by the power, or not this morning, this evening, by the power of your spirit. And we pray this for the glory of Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, we started the Beatitudes series last week, and um, there were really three things we looked at really briefly, or two things that we looked at last week. The first was we just kind of wanted to look at what the meaning of blessed means, because every Beatitude begins with blessed, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and then it keeps going on. So we saw last week that to be blessed is really this, it's this idea of happiness, but it's more than that. It's it's to be under God's favor. It's to have his stamp of approval, which ought to lead us to be happy, to be full of joy. For if you have God's favor, you have every reason to be full of joy. And so in verse 3, we saw that the blessing, specifically in regards to the poor in spirit, is that they are the recipients of Christ's kingdom. And the other thing we looked at was the meaning of poor in spirit. And we saw that to be poor in spirit is to feel and know one one's spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. To realize that you have nothing to offer God spiritually, that you can't save yourself, but that you're utterly dependent upon God's grace and mercy given to us in Jesus Christ. So that was the first beatitude which we saw last week. And now we come to the second beatitude in verse 4, where Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, at first glance, um, this doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It almost seems contradictory. Really, Jesus is saying, favored are the mourners, or if you want to see the contrast so clearly, you could say, happy are the unhappy. Happy are the mourners. But as we'll soon see, it does actually make sense. Now, there's, there's two things we need to wrestle with. 
What is Jesus referring to when he says those who mourn? What does he mean by that? Who are the those and, and what does it mean to mourn? And then what does he mean also when he says they will be comforted? They will be comforted. So what does Jesus mean when he says those who mourn? Well, we need to quickly make clear what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus isn't saying that Christians are supposed to be miserable. There have been professing Christians who have at times thought that the godly life is the miserable life. That if you're truly going to be godly, then you need to be in a perpetual state of misery. Now, of course, I'm making it a little exaggeration there, but some people really think that that's what godliness is about. And that really you need to deny yourself any kind of enjoyment. Christians having a good time, having a fun time, having a, a time full of laughter just isn't all that good, isn't a good thing. But that's not what Jesus is referring to here. You cannot reconcile that notion with the scriptures. Um, we're called to mourn, but that doesn't mean we're to be miserable all the days of our lives. No, the Christian life is a life full of rejoicing and thanksgiving for all the things that God has given to us to enjoy and all the spiritually spiritual blessings we've been given in Jesus. And yet, the Christian life is also a life that truly mourns. So to be one who mourns isn't to be a miserable Christian. So what does it mean then? Well, on the surface, we can conclude that every human being mourns, right? On the surface, we can conclude that every human being mourns. Yet Jesus makes a distinction between those who mourn and those who don't mourn. Those who mourn are blessed, which implies those who don't mourn aren't recipients of God's favor. And yet every human being mourns. So when Jesus speaks about those who mourn, he's not referring to mourning in general. Okay? All humans mourn, and if you live long enough, you will mourn for a multitude of reasons. So Jesus isn't referring to any kind of mourning. He's referring to a specific kind of mourning. Now, we looked at verse 3 last week, which was poor to be poor in spirit. How might verse 3 inform us on the kind of mourning that Jesus is referring to here in verse 4? Any thoughts? Any ideas? How might verse 3, being poor in spirit, inform us on what Jesus means by those who mourn here? If I were a rich person and I woke up tomorrow and I found out that I was bankrupt, I would mourn. Mm -hmm. In the same way from verse 3, spiritually, to come to the realization that I'm spiritually bankrupt would be a source of mourning. Mm -hmm. if, if prior to that I thought I was rich. Okay, so that, that's true. So what kind of mourning is that? Uh, mourning over my state before God. Okay. Mourning of my spiritual inadequacy. There we go, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a spiritual kind of mourning, right? Because you have a spiritual problem, spiritual poverty. Spiritual pro poverty, when you realize it, breeds spiritual mourning. You are mourning over the state of your own soul, right? 
One mourns because it's the proper response to the realizations of one, one's own poverty of spirit. Remember, we saw last week the interconnectedness of the Beatitudes, right? They, they come as a, a full package. It's the poor in spirit who mourn. It's, it's those who are poor in spirit and who mourn who are also the meek. And it's, and it's they who are poor in spirit and who mourn and who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is why it's clear that Jesus is speaking to this idea of spiritual mourning. The one who mourns is the one who acknowledges and feels their spiritual bankruptcy before a holy God. But what precisely are they mourning over? Well, the poor in spirit mourn not simply over their sinful behavior, but also the state of their soul, the spiritual desert that resides within. It's to mourn the state of your sinful heart in light of God's holiness and goodness. But it's also more than that. It's also to mourn that your sinfulness is an offense to God and has wronged God. In other words, it's God-oriented mourning. People can mourn their sin without ever truly mourning the fact they have wronged God. So it's God-oriented mourning. See, sin isn't horrific simply because you've broken a law. Sin is horrific because you've wronged a person, namely God. There's a reason the Bible speaks of sin as betrayal, treachery, adultery, rebellion, because sin is always against a person, God. Now, I think Paul in Romans 7 gives us an example of what it means to be a spiritual mourner. Now, in Romans 7, we know that there's this very fascinating passage where Paul's almost uh, looking into his soul and he's seeing this conflict within. He, he sees on the, the one hand his, his desire to want to do what God commands and to obey it and to please God. But on the other hand, he sees this other law at work in his heart, that law of sin that, that causes him to do the very thing that he does not want to do. And he is overcome with grief over the fact that his heart constantly feels this conflict, over the, over the fact that, that he constantly sees sin grasping and gaining dominion over him. And that's why in verse 24, as he ponders all of this, he, he breaks out in grief and sorrow and he says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? He's overcome with his own wretchedness. Now that's not a popular idea today. But the reality is this. If you think yourself to be morally, spiritually sufficient before God, then you would never have to mourn. It's only those who know their lostness that mourn. It's only those who realize if left to themselves, they are utterly hopeless and helpless before a holy God. They stand guilty and condemned before him. You see, the spiritual mourner understands to agree, to a degree, the state of his own soul. It is a sinful soul, but he also knows the fate of his soul. It is lost, condemned before a holy God. And this is why the poor in spirit mourn. They mourn the ugliness of their own soul. They mourn the lostness and condemnation they deserve. They realize they're a criminal on death row. 
But spiritual mourners don't just mourn over their own sin, but also the sin of others, and really the fallenness of this world. The Christian mourns not only his own sin, but he is grieved as he sees others forsaking the God that he loves. He sees God's name not being hallowed. He sees people's lives being destroyed by sin, and he is overcome with sorrow as he sees the plight of fallen man. You see, the posture of the Christian towards sinful humanity isn't one of condemnation, but one of sorrow. Do you spend the majority of your time condemning the sin of others or mourning the sin of others? There's a distinction. See, there are many examples in the scriptures of individuals who mourned over their own sin, but also the sin of others. You think of King David in in Psalm 119, verses 136. He says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. He's overcome with grief over the fact that people do not keep God's law. And of course, we have the best example in Jesus Christ himself, who also mourned. Not mourned over his own sin, he was sinless, but he did mourn over the sin of of others. In Luke 19, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and, and as he sees Jerusalem at a distance, we're told in verse 41 that he drew near and he saw the city and he wept over it. And the reason he wept over it was because he knew Israel had rejected him, he knew their hardness of heart, and he knew that because of that, judgment was going to come upon Jerusalem. This is what it means to be a spiritual mourner. And yet Jesus says the one who is like this is blessed by God. How can this be? Well, the answer lies in what is bestowed upon those who mourn. What is it that is bestowed upon those who mourn? Well, Jesus says, for they shall be comforted. We've noted that this isn't just any kind of mourning, but a spiritual mourning which implies the comfort promised here by Jesus isn't just any kind of comfort, but a spiritual comfort. It's not getting a more comfortable couch or bed. It is a spiritual comfort, or you could say it's a gospel comfort. The reason why the spiritual mourner is blessed is because the spiritual mourner is the one who is comforted by God, specifically by the comforts that are given through the gospel of Jesus. He feels the weight of his sin and his lostness, and he turns to find deliverance and spiritual comfort, and he finds it in none other than Jesus himself. You see, you have no need nor use for a cure until you have the disease that the cure can heal. It's only at that point you turn to the cure to find healing and comfort. It's only the one who knows his spiritual bankruptcy and mourns such bankruptcy that one is able to see Jesus as the deliverer and the cure to one's spiritual lostness. This is the order of how salvation comes to the sinner. One must reckon with the bad news before he's receptive to the good news. Sorrow in the scriptures always precedes joy. It's not until you realize how utterly sick you are and actually mourn that sickness 
that you'll actually start searching for a cure. And what happens, of course, when you discover the cure? Well, your morning will turn to joy because the cure has brought you healing and comfort. And this is precisely what we see in Romans 7 as Paul wrestles with the reality of sin, right? I didn't finish, to, finish that uh, passage to you where Paul breaks out in grief and sorrow, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here is a man who is mourning, but then in verse 25, we see a man who is comforted by this true truth. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will save me from my wretchedness? Who will deliver me from this body of death? God has done this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of that, he is able to rejoice. Because of that, he is able to find comfort. You see, there is present an eternal comfort found in Jesus for those who mourn. For he is the balm for every wound. He grants forgiveness to the repentant sinner. He cleanses and purifies. See, this spiritual mourning isn't something that happens merely at the beginning of salvation and the Christian life. It's something that should grow and deepen as you walk with the Lord. Here's the irony of it all, right? The godlier you become, the more you mourn the sin in your life. While at the same time, your joy in Christ increases all the more. That's the way it ought to be. The godlier you become, the more you ought to mourn the sin in your life, while at the same time, your joy in Christ should increase all the more. See, this beatitude is precisely what we seek to convey when we have, for example, a a time of corporate confession and word of assurance in our services. We, We try to take you through the process of mourning to find comfort. We mourn over our sin and confess our sin to the Lord. Then we we hear a word of assurance from the scriptures that remind us there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that our sins have forever been dealt with by Jesus. And this is meant to bring us comfort and joy. So the simple question I have for us this evening is this. Does this describe you? Are you a spiritual mourner? And if so, do you know the comfort that comes from clinging to Christ alone? When was the last time you truly wept over your sin? When was the last time you wept over the sin of others, not standing in judgment, but truly broken over the sin of others? See, to live the spiritual life that God intends for his children, it begins with spiritual poverty and spiritual mourning. Holiness cannot be obtained until unholiness is acknowledged and mourned over. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. And we just ask that by your spirit, you would take your word. And Lord, you would do the very thing we need here this evening. That you would make us spiritual mourners who find our eternal comfort in Christ alone. Lord, forgive us for our lack of mourning. 
Forgive us for our lack of repentance, for our lack of sorrow over the grievous sins in our lives. Help us to feel the weight of our sin, and then, Lord, drive us to the cross to feel the riches of your grace that are in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name.